This is the Music Halls of Fame podcast. This week we honor the year in music for 1995 along with a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class of 1995. We also make the case for putting John Coltrane into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as an early influencer. And our Spotlight Hall of Fame isn't a hall at all. It's the Library of Congress National Recording Registry in Washington, D.C. Before we get going with the podcast, like everyone tells you, please like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell so you'll know when these podcast episodes drop, which is usually every Thursday. Now, on to this week's episode. The year was 1995. In music, the Beatles Anthology TV documentary aired along with the premiere of their first song in over 20 years called Free as a Bird. Michael Jackson released what became the biggest selling double album of all time worldwide, History. Alan Wilder left Depeche Mode, singer Robbie Williams left the boy band Take That, and girls, now probably your parents or grandparents, lost their ever-loving minds when it happened. Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill was the biggest selling album of 1995. Other big albums released in 1995 were Mariah Carey's Daydream, Queen's Made in Heaven, Shania Twain's The Woman in Me, No Doubt's Tragic Kingdom, Jewel's Pieces of You, The Waiting to Exhale soundtrack, Bruce Springsteen's Greatest Hits, Radiohead's The Bends, Oasis's What's the Story Morning Glory, Tupac's Me Against the World, Bjork's Post, The Smashing Pumpkins, Melancholy, and The Infinite Sadness. Coolio's Gangster's Paradise was the biggest selling song of the year, followed by TLC's Waterfalls and Creep, Seals's Kiss from a Rose, Boys to Men's On Bended Knee, Real McCoy's Another Night, Mariah Carey's Fantasy, Madonna's Take a Bow, Monica's Don't Take It Personal, and Montel Williams' This Is How We Do It. In country music, the Great American Country Video Music Channel launched. The top artists in country music were Tim McGraw, Faith Hill, Aaron Tippin, Clint Black, Trisha Yearwood, Garth Brooks, John Michael Montgomery, Clay Walker, Shania Twain, Alan Jackson, and George Strait. In hip-hop, Coolio dominated the year with Gangster's Paradise. Notorious B.I.G. had the songs One More Chance and Big Papa. LL Cool J had Hey Lover. Looney's had I Got Five on it. Tupac had Dear Mama. Dr. Dre had Keep Their Heads Ringing. Method Man and Red Man had How High. Junior Mafia had Players Anthem and DeBrat had Give It To Ya. In dance music, the usual batch of pop dance and R&B crossover artists made the dance charts like TLC, Madonna, and Michael Jackson. Hip-hop also was huge on the dance charts in 1995, with artists like Notorious B.I.G., Funkmaster Flex, Junior Mafia, Naughty by Nature, and Method Man. However, there were some more quote-unquote legit dance artists on the charts, although it was mainly Eurodance artists like London Beat, 20 Fingers, 2 Unlimited, Black Box, Corona, Real McCoy, M People, Jamiroquai, Crystal Waters, Living Joy, and La Bouche. 
classic tracks from that year that have carried over through the decades included Underworld's Born Slippy, The Buckethead's The Bomb, otherwise known as These Thoughts Fall Into My Mind, and Todd Terry's 1995 remix of Everything But The Girl's 1994 ballad, Missing, which catapulted up both the dance and pop charts. In Latin music, the year was sadly about the loss of Tejano star Selena, who had six of the top ten Latin albums after her murder and four of the top singles. Other Latin artists who had big albums and singles that year included the Gypsy Kings, Luis Miguel, Gloria Stefan, Bronco, Marco Antonio Solis, and Los Bucas, Pedro Fernandez, and La Lanya. In theater, Victor Victoria opened on Broadway. There were Broadway revivals of Hello, Dolly! and How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, while the musical Dracula opened in Prague. Musical films in 1995 included the animated Arabian Night and also Disney's Pocahontas, along with Bye Bye Birdie, Empire Records, and The Show. Groups that formed in 1995 included the Black Eyed Peas, the Bacon Brothers, Buck Cherry, Capone and Noriega, Damage, Fountains of Wayne, Hoover Phonic, Godsmack, Stained, Kevin Eubanks and the Tonight Show Band, Evanescence, Groove Theory, Keen, LFO, Lifehouse, Sync, Propeller Heads, Morchiba, and Tegan and Sarah. Bands that either broke up until, of course, their inevitable reunions, or announced their hiatus included Oingo Boingo, Two in a Room, Aztec Camera, Black Sheep, General Public, Pink Floyd, Bronsky Beat, The Jerry Garcia Band, The Cult, Accept, Skinny Puppy, Diggable Planets, Living Colored, The Lynch Mob, Suicidal Tendencies, Sunny Day Real Estate, and The Soup Dragons. Bands that got back together in 1995 included Journey, The Misfits, and Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, who did a reunion tour in 1995, but officially got back together four years later in 1999. Artists who were born in 1995 included singer and composer Poppy, both V and Jimin from BTS, Megan The Stallion, Doja Cat, Melanie Martinez, Young and Yuta Nakamoto of NCT, Lil Uzi Vert, Dua Lipa, Giveon, Ross Lynch of R5, Post Malone, Queen Nyja, Troy Sivan, Jisoo Kim of Blackpink, A Boogie With The Hoodie, Michael Clifford of Five Seconds of Summer, Kehlani, and rapper Joey Badass. Lead singer Shannon Hoon of the alternative band Blind Melon passed away from a drug overdose in 1995. Tejano's singer, the aforementioned Selena, was shot and killed by her fan club president. Grateful Dead lead singer Jerry Garcia passed away from complications from diabetes. Other musical artists who passed away in 1995 included Melvin Franklin of The Temptations, Rory Gallagher, rapper Easy e of N.W.A., Bobby DeBarge of Switch, Ronnie White of The Miracles, Dwayne Gotell of Skinny Puppy, Sterling Morrison of The Velvet Underground, jazz trumpet player Don Cherry. 
Jerry Daniels of the Ink Spots, Matthew Ashman of Adam and the Ants, and also the band Bow Wow Wow, entertainer extraordinaire member of the Rat Pack, Mr. Dean Martin, Motown artist Junior Walker, Jimmy McShane of Baltimore, Roland Wolf of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, singer and actor Burl Ives, dancer and singer Ginger Rogers, singer Teresa Tang, singer Charlie Rich, singer Phyllis Hyman, singer Lola Flores, jazz drummer Art Taylor, David Cole of CNC Music Factory, blues singer Ted Hawkins, Bob Stinson of The Replacements, disc jockey Wolfman Jack, singer Alan McCarthy of Men Without Hats, Darren Robinson, a.k.a. the Human Beatbox from the Fat Boys, Yardbirds manager Peter Grant, and singer Nike Ardelia. In award ceremonies that were held for the music of 1995, Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill won Album of the Year at the Grammy Awards. Also at the Grammys, Seal's Kiss from a Rose won Record and Song of the Year, while Hootie and the Blowfish won Best New Artist. At the MTV Video Music Awards, TLC won Video of the Year for Waterfalls. TLC also won Artist of the Year at the Billboard Music Awards. Garth Brooks and the Eagles were the big winners at the American Music Awards. Alan Jackson won Entertainer of the Year at the Country Music Association Awards, while Brooks and Dunn won Entertainer of the Year at the Academy of Country Music Awards. D'Angelo and TLC were the big winners at the Soul Train Music Awards. Oasis won Best British Album for their iconic album, What's the Story, Morning Glory, and Take That One Best Song for Back for Good at the Brit Awards. Alanis Morissette was a big winner at the Juno Awards. Tina Arena won Album of the Year, and Silverchair won Song of the Year at the Aria Music Awards. At the Eurovision Singing Contest, which was held in Dublin, Ireland that year, Secret Garden from Norway won for the song Nocturne. At the Tony Awards, Sunset Boulevard won Best Musical, and Showboat won Best Revival of a Musical. Portishead's album Dummy won the Mercury Music Prize. The Pulitzer Prize for Music went to George Walker for Lilacs for Soprano and Orchestra, Peter Lieberson for Variations for Violin and Piano, and Elliot Carter for Adagio Tenebroso. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame opened its physical museum in Cleveland, Ohio in 1995. That year's ceremony was actually held on January 12th at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York City. After years of having very few video channels recording the event, MTV recorded it for an edited showing on its network the week after the ceremony. At the induction ceremony, music journalist Paul Ackerman was inducted into the non-performers category. The Orioles were inducted into the early influencers category. And in the performers category, the hall inducted the Allman Brothers Band, Frank Zappa, Led Zeppelin, Martha and the Vandellas, Janis Joplin, Neil Young, and this next artist. There once was a time when the Reverend Al Green was simply known as Al Green. He was born Albert Leornis Green on April 13, 1946 in Forest City, Arkansas, and started out singing in his group, the Green Brothers, which included his sister, actually, during high school. In 
He was kicked out of his house and had to fend for himself when his extremely religious father caught him listening to secular music, specifically Jackie Wilson. While still in high school, Al moved to Memphis, Tennessee and eventually went to live with a prostitute. Al also started another group called Al Green and the Creations, and it was through that group that he was noticed by Memphis record producer Willie Mitchell, who signed him to a record contract with High Records, and then he dropped the letter E at the end of his name, Green, and began spelling it like the color green. Al found early success with his debut single in 1967 called Backup Train, which went to number five on the American R&B singles chart. From there, Al went on a roll, including six straight number one albums on the American R&B charts. He also had now classic hits from the late 1960s to the mid-1970s, such as Let's Stay Together, Tired of Being Alone, Love and Happiness, Look What You've Done For Me, you Ought to Be With Me, Call Me, Here I Am, Living For You, Let's Get Married, Sha La La, L-O-V-E, Full of Fire, Take Me to the River, and I'm Still in Love With You. By the mid-1970s, Al Green was looked at as the next version of Sam Cooke and also his idol Jackie Wilson. He had the vocal style and especially the sex appeal, and he, like Sam and Jackie, developed a following, especially with his stage shows. There was a sexual attraction, you could say, with the ladies that drove them wild. And that's pretty much where his trouble started. Now, if you yourself are born again or change religions for whatever reason, it may have been a traumatic event that may have pushed you to convert you probably didn't have quite an event like what happened to Al. This event actually stopped his career cold. You see, there was a lady by the name of Mary Woodson White, and she, like most women of the era, fell in love with Al. Problem. She was married. Oh, and she also had kids. Apparently, though, that did not stop her from going after Al, and one day she left her husband and kids in New Jersey and drove to Al's show in upstate New York. And somehow, some way, she met Al, and one thing led to another and they became lovers because, hey, music man, groupies, you know. Somewhere along the line, she either became an ex-girlfriend of his, or they were still kind of sort of seeing each other, depending on whose version of the story you're going with, I guess. Be that as it may, on the night of October 18, 1974, when Al got back to his house in Memphis, Tennessee, after flying all night from a concert in San Francisco, Mary was there waiting for him. And here is where the story gets really weird. To be sure, really, only two people truly know what went down that night, but here's the gist of the events that evening that we know. Something prompted Mary to snap. The rumor is that Mary wanted Al to marry her, even though she was actually still married. Not quite sure how that works in a lot of the states, but yeah, whatever. Anyway, Al went to take a bath, and sometime during that bath, Mary came into the bathroom with a pot of hot grits. Again, 
Not sure if the grits were made by her or by him before he went to take a bath, but they were there. Then she poured the boiling hot water onto Al, leaving him with severe burns. Mary then went into Al's bedroom where she found his gun. Again, not sure how she knew that he had a gun in the bedroom, but there it was. She took the 38 caliber pistol, pointed it at herself, and killed herself with it. According to some reports, Mary left a note in her purse detailing what she would do, so I guess this wasn't exactly a spur-of-the-moment type of thing. Once Al recovered from his burns, he decided that the event was a sign from God that he had strayed way too far down the path of sin and needed to get back on the right track. He had technically been born again a year earlier, but now he decided to fully commit. At the height of his soul singing career, he quit singing soul music and started doing gospel music. Not only that, but he also decided to become a preacher. He became an ordained minister in 1976, hence the Reverend Al Green. Talk about totally committing. He did eventually go back to performing secular soul music, but he still preaches to this day. And now you know what prompted Al Green to become the Reverend Al Green. Um, I would also be remiss if I didn't mention that with the good also comes the bad, aside from the sleeping with the married woman part. Uh, even after his religious conversion, he was accused by his ex-wife Shirley, who married him after he became a minister, of repeated physical and emotional abuse, including hitting her with a boot after refusing to have sex because she was five months pregnant with their child. He actually admitted to the spousal abuse while under oath during their divorce filing in 1982. There it is. As far as Al's records go, Al has put out 29 secular and gospel albums combined and 25 compilation albums. He was nominated for 21 Grammy Awards and won 11 of them, including eight soul gospel performance Grammys in the 1980s. His songs Take Me to the River and Let's Stay Together were inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. He is number 65 on Rolling Stone Magazine's Greatest Artists of All Time list. His songs have been covered numerous times, most famously by Tina Turner for Let's Stay Together, The Talking Heads for Take Me to the River, and UB40 for Here I Am Baby. He is a member of the Gospel Music Hall of Fame, the Songwriters Hall of Fame, and also the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Presented for induction by singer Natalie Cole, the Reverend Al Green, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Class of 1995. Before we get to the rest of the podcast, we'd like to tell you about our other podcast, the Music History Today podcast. Every day we tell you what happened on that date in music history along with music releases, birthdays, and passings. 
So, if you like this podcast and want more music history, then please search the Music History Today podcast in audio or video form on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast from. This week, we're going to make the case for putting jazz saxophonist John Coltrane into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as an early influencer. Now, before you start talking about how jazz shouldn't be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I would probably agree with you. However, there are certain artists who have influenced rock and roll. For instance, Miles Davis heavily influenced rock musicians with his many different styles of music, and in 2006, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. John Coltrane also heavily influenced rock musicians. John was actually one of the leaders of the free jazz movement, which used musical modes instead of tonal modes. And that type of jazz was followed by everybody from Herbie Hancock to Chick Corea to Woody Shaw and many others. And he is still one of the most influential saxophonists in music, with the free jazz movement influencing bands like Rush, Yes, and virtually every other progressive rock band and jam band that's out there even to this very day. Also, he was canonized by the African Orthodox Church, which, of course, extremely few musicians have achieved. But it's not a bad feather in the cap, I must say. Since Coltrane has a lot of different albums out there, I would recommend the four-volume series, The Mastery of John Coltrane. And since he was great live, I would also recommend the complete 1961 Village Vanguard recordings. But like I said before, since he did influence music in a major way, if Miles Davis is in, then John Coltrane certainly deserves to be in as well as an early influencer. Each week in this spot, we highlight a different musical Hall of Fame or museum since there's a bunch more than just the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. For instance, there's the Country Music Hall of Fame, the Blues Hall of Fame, the Grammy Museum, among many others. But this time, though, we're going to talk about one that isn't a hall, per se, anyway. However, to me, it's probably the most important. The Library of Congress, aside from being a place in the movie All the President's Men, is the nation's library. Established in April of 1800, it has more than 38 million books, 14 million photographs, 70 million manuscripts, and 5.5 million maps. From a musical standpoint, it's important for a couple of reasons. The first is that it has over 8 million pieces of sheet music and over 3.5 million recordings. The second and more important reason is what it does with certain recordings. Since the passage of the National Recording Preservation Act of 2000, the library has developed a registry to preserve and protect certain pieces of music and other recordings that are considered historically relevant. That is a pretty high honor, knowing that your song or album is so important to the nation that it needs to be preserved forever. This is a pretty high-class list you're joining here. 
Some of these recordings are actually speeches or radio shows from yesteryear. For instance, the earliest recorded version of Abbott and Costello's classic Who's on First comedy sketch, Orson Welles' original War of the Worlds radio broadcast, and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech are all in the registry, as are the first recordings on cylinders that Thomas Edison used to show off the phonograph at an exhibition one year. The first official class was in 2002, and there were 50 recordings that were declared important that year. All of the above-mentioned recordings were in that first class. Annie Lennox was born on Christmas Day in 1954 in Aberdeen, Scotland. Why she wasn't named Noel like every other Christmas baby girl out there, I couldn't tell you. But thankfully, her parents named her Annie. Dave Stewart, on the other hand, was born on September 9, 1952 in Sunderland, England. The two of them met in 1975 in London when Dave walked into a restaurant that Annie was working at at the time. In 1976, they were in a punk band together called The Catch, which became The Tourists. And after a few years of band tensions, management legal issues, and record label conflicts, Lennox and Stewart decided to leave the group. They wanted to stop doing punk rock and explore doing pop music, along with experimenting with electronica and other types of music. They were also dating while in the band, but decided to break up and keep it strictly professional at that point. In 1980, Lennox and Stewart formed the duo The Eurythmics, which is a type of exercise system that Annie saw when she was a kid. They were signed to RCA Records and put out their very first album, In the Garden, in 1981, which went absolutely nowhere. They then went, regrouped, and built their own home studio in the Chalk Farm neighborhood in London, England, and tried to manage everything themselves, which literally almost killed them, putting Stuart in the hospital with a collapsed lung and Lennox with a nervous breakdown. She claims probably three or four at that point. They then finished up the album in a small room at Church Studios in London, England. The result of all that stress was their second album, Sweet Dreams Are Made of This, released January 4, 1983. There were four songs that were officially released from that album. This Is the House was released on April 2, 1982. The Walk was released on June 18th, and Love is a Stranger, which became a big hit after its re-release, was originally released on November 8th. The fourth track released from the album is the one that the Library of Congress inducted into the National Recording Registry. The title track, Sweet Dreams Are Made of This, was created during those Chalktown home studio sessions and, much like the rest of the album, was finished up at church studios and was produced by Dave, with both Annie and Dave writing the song. Story goes that one day Annie overheard Dave working on the idea for the song on a synthesizer. Annie got out another synthesizer and started playing along and the song just kind of came together organically. 
As for the lyrics, they were written after a fight that Dave and Annie had and were actually about the breakup of their band, The Tourists, from back in the day, and also the state of their partnership and whether their dreams of being successful were ever going to come true. Spoiler alert, uh, they did, and in a huge way. As it is, the lyrics are pretty simple. Ten lines in total. Sweet dreams are made of this. Who am I to disagree? I travel the world in the seven seas. Everybody's looking for something. Some of them want to use you. Some of them want to get used by you. Some of them want to abuse you. And some of them want to be abused. The last two lines, hold your head up and keep your head up, along with the lines moving on, answering each chant, were added to keep the song from being just completely, utterly depressing. Also, Annie has said in interviews that people still to this day come up to her and think that she's singing sweet dreams are made of cheese, not sweet dreams are made of this. Listen, you, you can't help everybody. What can I tell you? Anyway, Sweet Dreams, the song, was made mainly by equipment that Dave and Annie got with a 5,000 British pound loan from the bank. That works out to somewhere around 25,000 US dollars in today's money. The drums were done by the MCS drum computer. The Roland SH-101 synthesizer did the bass line, and the strings were done on a borrowed Oberheim OBX. They only used one standard-issue microphone for Annie's lyrics. When they brought the song to RCA Records, RCA hated it and said that it wouldn't be released because the song didn't have a chorus. It actually does, sort of, but what do record labels know? What got the song going in America was when a DJ in Cleveland, Ohio started playing the song off the album, and it became so popular in the Cleveland area that RCA had no choice but to release it to the rest of America. Sweet Dreams was released in Great Britain in January of 1983 and then made its way to America for an official release in May of 1983. Both the single and album versions clock in at 3 minutes 36 seconds with a 12-inch version running 4 minutes and 48 seconds. The single had their song, I Could Give You a Mirror, as its B-side. But what turned the song into a generational hit was, of course, MTV, which was gaining super popularity during that year. The video was filmed just before the single and the album release in the UK. The boardroom scene was filmed in a West London studio. Other scenes were filmed in a London basement and in a field. That cow in the music video was inspired by surrealistic artists such as Salvador Dali, according to Dave. Plus, why not have a wandering cow in your video? You can do whatever you want. It's your video. Also, making a video cameo was Dave's drum computer that he wrote the song on. In the video, Annie Lennox shows off an androgynous orange crew-cut hairstyle while she's dressed in a black business suit. At that point, the British invasion was in full swing because of the power of MTV. And while androgyny had already been around for well over a decade since Glam Rock and David Bowie with Ziggy Stardust, both Annie and also Boy George of the British band Culture Club, who 
also were pretty hot around that same time, brought androgyny back to the mainstream, which in this day and age would upset quite a few people on the far right, we'll just say. The music video took the song to the top 10 along with the album and turned the Eurythmics into MTV superstars. In fact, with each following video, Annie had a completely different persona. You never actually knew what you were going to get with her. At the 1984 Grammy Awards, while performing Sweet Dreams, for instance, she actually dressed up as Elvis Presley, complete with sideburns. The celebrity audience just sat there in stunned silence, didn't even move along to the song. They weren't quite sure what they were witnessing, to be honest with you. Sweet Dreams went to number two in Great Britain, only to be blocked by Bonnie Tyler's smash hit, Total Eclipse of the Heart, for the top spot. In America, it took about four months, but in September of 1983, it finally hit number one. It went on to hit number one in a bunch of other countries as well. It has been reissued at least five different times and is still extremely popular to this day as it gets played in just about every single EDM DJ set at one time or another. It's also been covered by a lot of artists, most notably Marilyn Manson and Dr. Albin, along with a Steve Angelo remix that did pretty well on the dance charts. The song got so red hot that their record label re-released Love is a Stranger to capitalize on Sweet Dream's success, and that song turned into a big hit. Throughout the 1980s, the duo put out hit after hit after hit with songs like Here Comes the Rain Again, Sex Crime, Would I Lie to You, Missionary Man, I Need a Man, Love is a Stranger, and of course their duet with Aretha Franklin, Sisters Are Doing It For Themselves. Also, the songs Tough Dance, Right By Your Side, and There Must Be an Angel, just to name a few of their hits. Then... After a while, the duo finally took some time apart. Annie started a successful solo career that garnered her some major awards, including a couple of solo Grammy awards. Dave, in the meantime, became a successful producer, which actually he's still doing, having recently worked with the band Churches. Over the past decade or so, though, Annie and Dave have gotten back together on and off as the Eurythmics, working on new music and going on tour. They were nominated a few times for induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame before they finally got inducted in 2022. The Eurythmics' 1983 breakthrough hit, Sweet Dreams Are Made of This, Not Cheese from the album of the same name, inducted into the United States Library of Congress National Recording Registry in 2023. And that is it for this episode of the Music Halls of Fame podcast. For more podcast episodes, which drop every Thursday in audio and video form, then please like, subscribe, and click the notification bell on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio Podcasts, CastBox, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast from. <laughs> <laughs>